Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? We are back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone Know How Podcast. I am Zane Nackby, as always, with Al Sacco, and it's another victory podcast. It's been a minute since we did one of these, Al, and it uh, feels good, doesn't it? It does feel good, but let, uh, let me tell you what. I don't think anyone, I don't think Kyle Shanahan, I don't think John Lynch, I don't think the 49ers players, I don't think experts, uh, I don't think other people in the league, fans, I think anyone knows what the hell to make of the 49ers right now. I don't think anyone knows what they are. I don't think anyone knows where they're going. If you told me they were going to turn this around and win 11 games, I'd say, sure. If you told me they were going to win seven games, I'd say, sure. I don't know, man. I, I don't know where we're headed, but like you said, let's enjoy this one, right? It was a dominant win, yeah. And I, I, I'm with you. I have no idea what to make of them right now because you go out the previous week and you get blasted at home by the Miami Dolphins and you look like you're one of the worst teams in the league, literally. And then the next week you take the four and one Rams to the woodshed and you basically were so far ahead in the game that it really wasn't even a game, even the last touchdown. Like I was never in danger. I don't think we were ever in danger of watching them possibly blow this lead and blow the game. It was a comfortable lead the entire way. The first half was phenomenal. The first half was the execution and Kyle Shannon's game plan and the way that Jimmy executed that game plan, the being able to mix the run with the pass, getting Debo and Ayuk involved. That really, that's what we saw last year. Hitting Kittle on that blitz, that zero blitz that the Rams called, which was basically the same play they called in the Super Bowl that was open, but Chris Jones basically, you know, he had his hand up at that point. But that's what that play was supposed to look like. Hit him in stride, and Kittle runs with it for a touchdown. And that's what they looked like last year, Al, and that's what we had been waiting for. And George Kittle said that on, a pod, on another podcast this week that they kind of felt that same way in the huddle, that they got the feeling from last year back. Everybody's kind of in tune and into it and really engaged the same way they were last year. And that really hadn't happened this season yet for whatever reason. So I think high hopes going forward, but you have a brutal schedule ahead. Yeah. And, and me watching that game, I, I, Jimmy had that early pass where he missed Kittle. He threw it behind him and Kittle had to kind of go back and it bounced off his hands. And I said, Oh, you know, you look skittish again. Here we go. But then he really settled in and, and look, I know it was, and I, I know you, you had a strong take on this too, but I felt it, it was, Jimmy played well. I don't want to take anything again, away from him, but Kyle had a masterful game plan. He really did. A lot of just, you know, little flip passes and short passes. The touchdown Jimmy threw to Kittle was a great throw to hit him in stride to keep him running. Really good throw. But but Kyle did scheme this game, so Jimmy didn't have to do too much. Now, whether that was because of the ankle, whether that was just to get him going, whatever that was because, I don't know if it's sustainable. They're going to have to throw the ball downfield eventually. I think. I think every catch Debo had was behind the line of scrimmage, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they threw one, you know, past line of scrimmage to him. And it was good to see him get involved. It was good to see Ayuk get involved. Kittle was dominant as always. Offensive line was great, and we'll get into that too. But you know, with the Jimmy thing, because there's there's been so much on him, thought it was a step in the right direction, and he was terrific in in that first half. But then I, I it seemed like Kyle took his foot off the gas, and you said the game wasn't in doubt. I, I kind of felt differently about it. Kyle seemed to get really conservative in the second half. And if it wasn't for Cooper Cup, maybe having the worst game of his career, I thought it could have been a different game because Cup drops the ball 
in well, he dropped the ball in the end zone. It could have been a touchdown. There was a long pass that if he caught it would have been a touchdown, but it looked like he lost it or something. And that was incomplete. And then there was another throw where Jimmy just way overthrew, uh, sorry, Jared Goff just way overthrew him. If those things happen, maybe it's a closer game and maybe the Rams are kind of pushing it towards the end there. So I was a little concerned that they took their their foot off the gas at the end. The first half, they looked awesome. They looked like the Niners last year. It was great. And then in the second half, it was a little bit disjointed. So that that has me, I guess, a little worried moving forward. Am I, am I crazy on that? Well, no, I think that I'll address the, the Cooper Cup thing first. And that's just football, man. I think that, that those things happen. Had that not happened to the 49ers in the Super Bowl, they'd be hosting a Super Bowl trophy right now. And the narrative behind them would be totally different. Like, you're going to miss plays. Guys will drop balls. Guys will miss plays. That's part of the game. That's part of sports. And I think that a lot of the narratives after this game from at least the Rams side was, oh, we had a lot of missed opportunities. What, what you did, but so have the 49ers. And that cost them basically two games this year against the Eagles and the Cardinals. And if the Niners converted those opportunities, we'd be having a whole different discussion right now. So I think all of this stuff is kind of par for the course. And at the, at the end of the day, the team that executes more will win. And that's what happened in the Super Bowl in those two previous games I mentioned, the Cardinals and the Eagles, and that's what happened last week against the Rams, is that the Niners out-executed the Rams and they won. And you're going to have games where it comes down to a throw that a guy doesn't catch. Or, like, for example, Al, against, against the Cardinals, if Jimmy throws that ball a foot further to Bourne in the end zone, that's a touchdown, right? And right. they're, they're right. right now. And they're basically... That's a good point. Yep. So the what-if game, it's, it's, it's fun to play, but I think that really... As Jimmy says, it is what it is, right? And the results are what they are. And when it came down to it, they they did do just enough to win. And Kyle did get a little bit conservative in the second half. It's probably largely in part because of Mostert going down with the ankle. And we don't know what Jamichael Hasty has in, in his limited action. He was actually very good. But Mostert going down is huge. And that loss is huge. And we'll get, that, get to that in a bit. But... I think because of that, he had to kind of scheme up some other ways of, of moving the ball. And really, like, they really just needed a touchdown to put it out of reach. They got a field goal, which was good enough. But I think that had they needed to put the foot on the gas a little bit more, I feel like they could have. But really, Jimmy's ankle is still bothering him. The offensive line was was really good. But I think that's a product of Jimmy letting go of the ball really early. And you wanted to get out of there with as this, with this few injuries as possible. So you're trying to shorten the game by running the ball as much as you can. So. I see, I see what he's trying to do, and I see where you're coming from, and I do understand that they've yet to put together a full, complete four quarters. Like, we've seen snippets of it. We've seen two quarters here, three quarters, and the fourth quarter, they're just not that good. Um, but I think that that's, some, that's the improvement that they can make, right? At least we have a lot of room for improvement with this group, and a lot of new guys, a lot of new bodies on the team. You're going to have those things happen. Regarding Kyle's game planning, fantastic. I mean, this was probably one of his best game-planned games that he's had since he's been here. And this is the way that they won last year. People talk about, well, there was a lot of short, quick scheme passes. That's exactly what they were doing last year, Al. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what happened. And that's how they won. And they got back to their identity. And I'm not surprised that they did win because that's what they do best. And and is Jimmy limited as a quarterback physically besides the ankle? Sure. He has issues throwing a deep ball? Sure, that's fine. Every single quarterback in this league is limited. Every single quarterback in this league has something that they don't do well. And it just happens to be going deep for Jimmy. Does that mean they can't push the ball down the field? No, there'll be opportunities. I'm sure he'll take them. But for the time being, because the offensive line can't block, because of his ankle, his limited mobility because of his ankle, 
they needed him to get the ball out of his hand quickly and decisively, and he did. And that's why the offensive line didn't give up any sacks. That's what Jimmy excels at. He excels at short, quick passing. Uh, that's what the West Coast offense is. And when the running backs can't get yardage and when the running backs go down, they're throwing short, quick passes to get that yardage back. So I think that because he's not a good fantasy quarterback, and I, and I will eventually talk about Jimmy as well, but I think because he's not a good fantasy quarterback, a lot of people are like, oh, well, he doesn't throw for 350 yards a game and four touchdowns, so I hate him. Or he can't throw the deep ball. He's not any good, as if that's the only thing that defines what a good quarterback is. So to me, I think it was a great team effort. The defense played really well. Give, up, give a shout-out to Salah, too. Fantastic game plan on his Yeah, side. yep, absolutely. I mean, and, and Jason Barrett, oh, my gosh. He's playing like a Pro Bowl corner right now. He's playing. He's amazing right now. And I did not see that coming out of that guy, especially given his injury history. So he's he's arguably the best player on the defense right now is Jason Barrett, which is a crazy thing to say considering his injury history. But he's, he's been amazing. And Mosley coming back, you're seeing the difference that having two capable starting corners makes. And you mentioned they're doing the same thing they did last year. Let, you know, Jimmy right now leads the NFL in yak yards per completion with 8.0. The next closest QB to him is Jared Goff at 6.7. So he leads in by a wide margin. Now he's also 31st in intended air yards at 6.2. But like you said, the same as last year, that's exactly the same as last year. He finished first and 31st in those categories last year, right where he is right now. Mm-hmm. 6.6 for, for yak yards per completion and 6.5 for intended air yards. So basically doing what they were la- doing last year. Same sort of thing. I did want to mention before I get into the old line, I want to mention Kittle because George Kittle is doing things that we haven't seen. It's on Jerry Rice and, and Terrell Owens level what he's doing, and and I don't. I, I know he's. Everyone says that he's great and he gets talked about a lot, but I don't even know if we know how great he's doing. He's currently fifth in the NFL in receiving yards per game at ninety five, and he's the only non wide receiver in the in the top fifteen. This was going into Monday. I'd have to look if Kelsey is in there now, but he wasn't last I saw it after Monday's game. But for his career, Kittle's averaging 67.9 receiving yards per game. The only players in history who have a higher average per game, Jerry Rice in 49ers history, Jerry Rice 80.9 and Terrell Owens 70.8. I mean, that's, that's crazy company. And if you take out his rookie year, Kittle's averaging 82.6 yards per game receiving. I mean, that's just, you're talking special all-time player right there. That's that's just incredible. And when you consider what he does on the blocking end of it, he, 49ers fans need to appreciate this because you are seeing an all-time 49er on the field right now. All-time 49er. As great as Frank Gore was, as much as we love Frank Gore, offensively, Kittle's the best player they've had since T.O., the most dominant player, what he's, what he's doing statistically. And Gore's great too. And I, you know, I think I'm a huge Frank Gore guy, but Kittle's doing like all-time things right now, all-time. It's crazy. O-line, we, we talked last week about they just weren't there yet. And, and Matt Barrows brought up, you know, about Daniel Brunskill, where he was playing center in the um, training camp and he didn't really get reps at guard. And maybe these first four games were sort of like preseason for him. But I'll tell you what, he played the game of his life at guard anyway this week, really holding his own against Aaron Donald, really Ooh. played well. And now all of a sudden, we have Ooh. to kind of hold this offensive line to this standard, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I'm uh, kind of making fun of Aaron Donald there with his, his comment about Debo Samuel after the game, which uh, I mean, oh, I when mean, he said who or when he was like, who? Yeah, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But yeah, um, to your point, uh, 
the offensive line was fantastic. And that's what, that's the difference basically between a winning and a losing team is your offensive line. I think that is the most impactful unit that plays together. I think that's the most, most impactful unit that you could possibly have on a football team because if your quarterback doesn't have time, it doesn't matter if you're Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. It doesn't matter who you are. If you don't have time to throw and look off your progressions and be able to scan the field to find the guy that's open, it's not going to work. And I'm not surprised at all that everybody's performance improved because the offensive line's performance improved. And they had a couple of mix-ups here and there where on the use check throw, like <laughs> it was it was almost comical. Trent Williams, uh, Lincoln Tomlinson, and, and Garland all were standing next to each other while two free rushes were coming at Jimmy. I mean, he missed the throw; he should have made it, but but it's just it's kind of they did. They're still having a little bit of miscommunication, but I feel like this is a group that they they need preseason the most to be able to gel. And having a lack of preseason games to play in, it, it really hurts the offensive line specifically. And I think that with the, the Shanahan scheme with what he wants from his offensive lineman, the zone blocking scheme. There's only certain offensive linemen that fit that scheme. And on top of that, you have to know all of your assignments even more so than other blocking schemes are just one-on-one. So you can see them getting better um, slowly. And I think last week was uh, was the start of that. Uh, as we know now, Ben Garland has a calf injury. He's going to be out. Uh, you're going to see probably uh, what's with Grafu again, I think, right? That's his name, isn't it? Yes, Grasso. Yep. You can see Grasso again at center, and Trent Williams did not practice. He missed one practice during the week. Uh, his ankle wasn't feeling good. He doesn't have a high ankle sprain or broken ankle or anything like that. It's just it's just sore. Um, so hopefully he can go. But you're looking at a unit that had a at least for one game a flashback to last year, and they were dominant and they were great. The Rams led the league in sacks coming into the game at 20. They had zero sacks. They barely touched Jimmy. So it's not going to necessarily take a clean slate every game to win, but it definitely helps. And I was proud of that unit, proud of the way that they worked, the way that they bounced back. And again, that's, I think the credit goes to Kyle Shanahan to scheme that up because he made it easy for them. I don't know if you noticed that, but even on the play action fakes, Jimmy was getting a little bit of like diagonal separation. Like it wasn't just like a straight drop back. He was getting out a little bit to the side as well. So it's like three hours, three hours back and like two yards to the side. So it gave him a little bit of extra time to be able to find guys and to be able to make throws and to give the offensive line a little bit more time to be able to block uh, a little bit more time to be able to hold their blocks. And it's little subtleties like that. We even saw, heck, we even saw bootleg from Jimmy in the red zone. It wasn't executed very well, but it's nice to see that. So <laughs> we're seeing things that we haven't seen before. And I think that that is Kyle Shanahan's mentality right now. They're back against the wall because they had to have that game against Rams. They had to have that. If you're losing that game, that's your season is officially officially over. Because right now they're sitting at three and three, you still have a chance. I think eight wins can get you in with the seventh yeah. playoff seed. I think eight, well, everybody's eight, bunched in there. Yeah, everybody's yeah. bunched into those bottom playoff spots right now. Yeah, yeah. So I think the offensive line deserves, deserves deserves a ton of credit. They're only going to go as far as the offensive line takes them this year. So hopefully they can get healthy sooner rather than later. We know that Richburg is not going to be back until at least week twelve, which is a huge bummer because they paid him a lot of money and he is pretty good when he plays, but he's just been hurt so often. So it's going to be Grasso and Garland that are going to be holding down the fort at, at center until he gets back. In the defense too, I just, again, I, I keep talking about is, is what they're doing sustainable. The defense played so well, but, you know, because I'm always just, I don't know, I worry about everything and I'm always looking at like the butts, I guess, maybe it's the fall to mine, but no sacks and they couldn't, they weren't, the pressure's not there and I don't know where the pressure is going to come from. And 
the secondary played well and, and they looked different with two capable cornerbacks with Mosley and, and Verrett. We talked about how good Verrett was and what a lifesaver he's been for this team. Kerry Hyder has been great this season, but where else is that pressure going to come from? Mm-hmm. Who, who else is going to come off the edge? And they're, they're, they're trying Kinlaw on the edge, which I don't like because I, I think that hurts his development. You, know, you get Armstead out there and I, I know they picked up this Jordan Willis guy today. I don't think he's going to do much other than be a rotational guy, but where is that? other edge rusher going to come from. So if they win this week, I would hope they're going to be in the market for somebody, Ryan Kerrigan, maybe, or somebody like that. But I, I worry about that with this defense. If the linebacker play is good. And we were talking about that Verrett play, the interception he made and how well he, he, he's been playing. But who's uh, the play before that or a couple plays before that? Drake Greenlaw with another huge stop right. at the goal line. Linebackers are playing well. Secondary played well defensive line is holding their own and doing the best they can with injuries. Again, I just, I just, I hope it's sustainable Zane. I do. Yeah. That's one thing that I noticed too, that they didn't have any sacks. Kinlaw did get, get back there a couple of times. He actually tied for the lead lead and uh, pressures by rookie linemen, uh, Chase Young and Kinlaw and a bunch of guys are tied, which is kind of funny because Chase Young is an, an edge rusher and right. Kinlaw he tackled. Uh, so he, he needs to, he does need to work on his pass rush moves. But the fact that he's getting there with limited moves is, is encouraging. And honestly speaking, like we're talking about long-term development here, right? But we're not just talking about 2020. I know that we want to say that the championship window is open now, but for Javon Kinlaw, like he just started his career, like he's six games into his career. So mm-hmm. he's going to need time to develop and you're not going to get a guy that's going to be like Warren Sapp coming out the gate, right? This is a guy that we knew that needed time to develop. And already, I would say that in his limited six games, he already had, he's been having more of an impact than Solomon Thomas did his entire rookie year. So yeah, yeah, you know you're probably right. You're probably that's right. Not a high bar to, to reach. I know, but like, we love Solomon. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> not a very high bar there. Comparatively, like he's he's had more of an impact, and I think that the things that he does don't show up on his stat sheet. Like when Solomon Thomas was playing in the Cardinals game, Kinlaw it was near, it was one play near the goal line where the Cardinals backed up in their own end. Kinlaw commanded double team was a stunt. He came inside. Solomon Thomas went outside, and Solomon Thomas basically had a one on one and uh, was able to chase Kyler Murray down and make him throw it away. And that's, that was created by Kinlaw, taking up two blockers. So there's a lot of stuff that he does that doesn't show up. I hope to get more out of him, obviously, as the season goes on. But like, like Brandon Ayuk, it's going to take these times, guys time to develop and time to get into it. Now, that doesn't solve the pass rush problem. Jordan Willis, he was a pass rusher coming out of college, and the Niners scouted him, and he, they brought him in for a visit in 2017 in Kyle, Kyle Shannon's first year. And they never ended up drafting him. but. They traded a six-round pick for him next year. And I, I really think that he won't necessarily be like a star, but he's another body that allows you to move Eric Armstead inside, where I think, I feel like Eric Ar- right now, Eric Armstead would be better. Uh, I, I don't think I that he's necessarily better as an edge rusher. And I don't know why the Niners are obsessed with putting defensive tackles out at defensive end like they did with Kinlaw. Um, Really, unless you're Aaron Donald, it just doesn't make sense. So where do they get the pressure from? They've been blitzing more. Robert Sala's been blitzing more. He's been varying his coverages, which has been very encouraging to see. But you're going to have to get pressure with four. Like, you can't keep sending extra rushers and getting uh, having your corners exposed like that on an island, especially when Kwan Williams is out and Sherman's still out, even though Verrett's been playing well. Mosley's just got back and played well. And it's getting to the point, too, where it's just not 49ers football unless there's just critical injuries every yeah. single week it's just an absolute joke and now Mostert's going to go on ir with a high ankle sprain you mentioned garland 
don't know if he's going on IR or what he's doing. He's hurt. He's not playing. Grass is going to be in there. This is going to the point where this is just a comical joke. I mean, it's insane. Every game, you're just waiting to see who do we lose for the next four or five weeks now. It's just, it's, it's crazy. I feel like it's, it's affected every position. Well, not what? Why? No, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not even going to say it because then it's going to happen. <laughs> I just feel like it's affected the whole team. Yeah. It, 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 it's been just absolutely crazy. And like, Hunter. like, so what was that? Hunter. Yeah. Right. Like I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't now running back. I guess we're going to see McKinnon and it looks like Wilson, if he's healthy and we'll probably get it hasty in there too. I, I would hope he ran really well. I thought in this last game, so we'll see where they go, but McKinnon's going to be on a snap count. So I don't know running back. I guess you could say Kyle can kind of plug anybody in there, but it's just frustrating because even though you can plug anybody in there, Mostert's better than the rest of them. Mostert is just, every time he touches the ball, he's a threat to go all the way. They don't have that anywhere else. So they have guys that are good and can step in, but you can't replace Mostert. You really can't. When you're on your third string center, that's never good. I just, I can't anymore, dude. <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't with this. Yeah, I agree. It's every single game. The Niners have, going into the game, they had 13 players on IR. <laughs> the Rams, for comparison, had three. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I don't know what it is, but maybe teams get more injured. If people point out the Chargers from a couple of years ago that always get injured, but like, show me a team that has more impactful injuries, like significant impactful injuries, not a bump and bruises, but all right, our starting quarterbacks out for a month, our starting running backs out for six weeks, our starting defensive end, all world defensive end is done for the season with an ACL. The other defensive end is done basically for the season as well. Our all pro corner, number one corner, is basically done for three quarters of the season with a calf injury. Mm-hmm. This is it's it's ridiculous. And I, I don't know, I I for the life of me don't know why this is happening, and I don't know what can be done to prevent it. I don't know if it's like practicing or it's when these grant cones, like when Jimmy Ward is having all those uh, injuries, he was like, She drink more milk. So Yeah, drink more milk, yep. <laughs> so I, I just don't know what it is. I honestly can't put my finger on it and Maybe they don't have a lot of contact in practice practice or too much contact. Like those hardball teams are notorious for having hard practices and hard mm-hmm. hitting practices, right? So maybe they just don't have that right now. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what it is, man. But regardless, you're looking at a running back group that doesn't have a lot of pro- like production, career production. Like even McKinnon, he's never been a number one running back. He's always sharing the load. And I don't think he, he doesn't have the same quickness that he used to. It's clear. And right, he doesn't. Down, yeah, he's on every down type of back. So you've got two practice squad guys and Jeff Wilson and Hasty behind him. And all of a sudden, Hasty, as well as he ran, all of a sudden it puts a ton of pressure on Jimmy. And now it comes down to, on a bum ankle, it comes down to how well can he play. And it's funny because this will launch me into my, my tirade of the week, I guess, Al, because I'm having one of these every, every week, apparently now. <laughs> um. Apparently, it's a problem that Jimmy's throwing short, quick passes now. It's funny. 49ers Twitter is hilarious. When they lose, they complain. When they win, they complain. It's funny. It's just really funny. It's an issue now that Jimmy's throwing short, quick passes, and, and now he's having to rely on quote-unquote scheme to help him. Despite the fact that if you look at any quarterback in this league, when their offensive line is hurting, when they're hurt themselves, they're looking to get rid of the ball as soon as they can. They're not trying to hold on to it to wait for a long play to develop. And they're like, all right, let me try to push this ball down the field when I can't push off my back leg. Watch Aaron Rodgers. Anytime Aaron Rodgers, 
Hell, watch the two games against the Niners last year. Watch how quickly Aaron Rodgers was getting rid of the ball. Watch the game against Kyler Murray early on this year. Watch how quickly he's getting rid of the ball. Why? Because the, the offensive line can hold a pass rush. That's what quarterbacks do to win. Patrick Mahomes in the first game of the year, Patrick Mahomes threw like five passes beyond the line of scrimmage. Five of his completions, five or six of his, five or six of his completions were beyond the line of scrimmage. Everything else was either at or be, be, behind the line of scrimmage. And you do what you need to do to, to win the game. It doesn't have to be like a fantasy showcase or a masterpiece. And I don't know what fans are expecting out of the quarterback play here. But to me, I want the guy to execute the scheme. I want him to not turn the ball over, and I want him to win. And that's exactly what he did. This goes for anybody. This is not just genius, anybody. And people have it in their minds that, oh, you have to be able to throw deep to be effective as a quarterback, or you suck if you can't throw deep. That's not, that's not the only thing that it takes to be a good quarterback. Like a, a missed throw here or there, oh, my God, this throw is off target, as if no quarterback ever in the history of football has been off target. I just think it's just the spoiled, entitled mindset that 49ers fans, some of the 49ers fans have. And, yeah, we've been spoiled by Joe Montana and Steve Young and, to a lesser extent, Jeff Garcia after that. But every half-decent quarterback has been run out of town since then because they don't measure up to that level. And this, this unfair notion that a quarterback should basically be perfect, otherwise he's, he's gone. Like, we were talking about Jimmy Garoppolo being replaced. Not we, but like people were talking about that after the season, after six poor quarters of play. Like this guy's still developing. You have to give him time. You have to give him patience. Quarterbacks are going to take time. Like these guys don't come out of the box ready. Like a, the the Tom Brady's of the world, the Aaron Rodgers. This is the exception, not the rule. Most quarterbacks take time to develop. Even Aaron Rodgers took time to develop. He took a couple of years of starting to be able to actually develop into what you see today. We look at the finished product and we're like, oh, that's what I want my quarterback to be. But we don't realize that they weren't always like that. Tom Brady, when he won his first Super Bowl as a game manager, people don't realize that. They don't remember that. They didn't trust him with the ball. They ran the ball and played defense. That's how he won his first Super Bowl. Like, we have to understand that this is a progression. This is going to take time. You can't just expect that the guy is going to be like, oh, well, just because he's getting paid X amount of dollars, he's going to be the next, the next stud or he's going to be the XYZ MVP player, whatever it is. Rookies get that same, get that same money, but we're patient with them. So I'm, I'm just, it's just really disappointing when I see that. Like I see people, even some of some of the media people, some of these analysts that we know, Al, are, are picking these guys apart, picking Jimmy apart. Every single throw, every single thing he does, it's like, dude, this is part of the progression. This is part of learning. Look at the whole. Look at look at everything as a whole. Don't look at like little things and, and nitpick at small little things and be like, oh well, he was off target on this one throw, but he completed twenty of twenty five passes for the rest of the game. But like that one throw, he's off target. Like, come on. Like if we're going to judge anybody under that, that big of a microscope, everybody's going to look bad and everybody just needs to chill and, and trust the process. Trust Kyle. Stop putting so much pressure on, on the team and on Jimmy for trying to succeed because he's still growing. He's still learning as a quarterback. Is he limited? Absolutely. Does he, does Kyle need to scheme around those limitations? Sure. Every coach does that. Every player is limited. That's what scheme is. You scheme to someone's strengths. Jimmy's strengths happen to be short, quick passes. This is the West Coast offense, right? Y'all of Bill Walsh, don't you? That's what the West Coast offense is, a short, quick passing game. God, it's just, it's just exhausting, Al, dealing with this every single week, man. It's just ridiculous. I agree with you in some aspects and, and maybe in the other aspects. It's, it goes back to the theme of I just don't know what the hell to expect. You know, I understand what you mean about being patient. We have You and I both talked about that where he's developing. You got to be patient with it. I don't know if Kyle's going to be patient with him anymore. I don't. I think 
I don't think that Kyle's running the offense he wants to run. I, I think that Jimmy is limiting him in some ways. I don't think Kyle trusts him 100%. I, I know he doesn't. There's no way he does. Whether it's a turnover, whether it's it's just him being inaccurate. You know, there were, there were, he, they had the long play, pass to use check and he had a guy coming at him, but he kind of turned away and he missed use check. Um, he almost threw an interception there on the goal line when they rolled him out. I, I don't, I, I don't think Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy needs to really play well the second half of the season, or if there's an upgrade out there, I really believe Shanahan's going to take it. I, I do. So here, here's the thing, like what's, what's the upgrade situation then, right? Like, I mean, we're, we're going there now, right? So, What's the upgrade? Matt Ryan? Well, he can't bring Julio Jones with him, and he's even less mobile than Jimmy is, and he's 37 years old. Uh, who else is out there? You're going to draft a rookie? You're going to trust Kosh Gannahan to develop a rookie? He's never developed any quarterback at any level in the NFL. You talk about RG3. RG3 was basically, people don't remember, Dan Snyder wanted RG3. He forced RG3 onto the Shanahan's, basically making them a, create a scheme that worked for him because that was the the big splash move that they needed to make to pull that franchise out of the gutter. And they ended up drafting Kirk Cousins anyways. So what quarterback is going to be able to run Kyle Shanahan's system that's out there? That's the question I have. What quarterback will be able to better do this better than Jimmy that's out there? You're going to put, uh, I mean, they're not going to get Trevor Lawrence, but you're going to put that kid from North Dakota State uh, into this system and expect him to learn. And in the middle of a championship window, like, Who's out there? Like Dak Prescott, maybe if the Cowboys don't get him, but then he's coming off a broken ankle. Like, and if he fails, then what are we going to do? Like, we have to stop this quarterback carousel. Like, Kyle Shanahan has had four quarterbacks in San Francisco since his time here, and none of them have developed it. Well, I mean, Jimmy's the, the closest thing to developing to anything, but he hasn't developed any of them. Like, he just keeps scheming around them. Like, he keeps telling them where to go. Like, if you, if you remember against Minnesota, somebody asked them after the game about Jimmy's scanning the field, and Kyle said, well, in an interview following that game that he said, well, he doesn't need to scan the field because I I'm telling him where the read is. I'm not saying that verbatim, but that's what, that's what he said. Right. So when you're not letting your quarterbacks grow, when you're putting the handcuffs on them, no quarterback is going to develop in this system. No quarterback develops this way. That's what they did to Alex Smith for so many years. And he didn't develop. And, and that was different because he had, he had seven co- coordinators in seven years. But the point is, is that they put handcuffs on him early and they didn't let him develop. They didn't let him go through his lumps. Like, look, Jimmy's going to throw, dumb interceptions he's going to do dumb stuff that's part of the growth that's how you learn and to me like the the idea of replacing him with xyz quarterback and automatically thinking that that's an upgrade when we don't even know if this guy can run cash hand system effectively it's just you're literally making a lateral move at any point there's unless it's like maybe aaron Rodgers, he, he becomes free agent or if they had brought brady here but you know then it comes to the offensive line like how are they what are they gonna do behind the offensive line like you're making a lateral move if you replace Jimmy with anybody less than Aaron Rodgers, basically. That's what I'm saying. And to me, that's not good enough. Like I'm going to be super critical of that because that's not making your team better. And again, Matt Ryan has Julio Jones over there. So unless you bring Julio with you from Atlanta, that doesn't make sense. And he's not going to succeed the same way. Well, he did it. When Jimmy first came in, we used to say he looked like Tony Romo, right? Kind yeah. of with those off the cuff plays and the gunslinger thing. And now he kind of looks like Alex Smith, right? Because he's yeah. kind of just, I don't know Alex Smith, but he's just, he's throwing the shorter passes. He does look like he has handcuffs on him, right? You don't yeah. see a lot of those kind of off the cuff gunslinger plays anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and- you know, it is, it is a good point. But I just think, again, would I replace Jimmy? It would depend on who's there. I, I really think if, if it's a lot of the same 
for the rest of the season where he's inconsistent, where Kyle's got the handcuffs on him, where Kyle, you could tell, doesn't trust him. I think Kyle will look to upgrade in the offseason. I don't know if he's going to be able to, but I, I, I think that's on the table. Unless Jimmy really balls out, I said this last week, I, I think it's on the table. I do, whether it's Matt Ryan, whether Dak is somebody, who knows who's going to be available. I, I still wonder, one guy, I just I really like him. If there is a coaching change in Detroit and Matt Stafford finally says, look, <laughs> get me out of here for the new coach, that's somebody I, I would be all over. But that that's just wishful thinking anyway. But we'll see what happens. I just, I, I, the way I see the games unfolding, it looks to me like Kyle doesn't trust him. And maybe it is the ankle right now. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. But we'll see. Before we have some questions to get into, which we'll get into in a second. But before we do that, I just want to talk about next week's game because we kind of alluded to some things about game balls. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do game balls at the end, but I want to talk about next week's game real quick. Right, um, so we talked about what, what he's doing with Jimmy Shanahan, getting the ball out quickly, those kind of gadget plays to the receivers. What happens if Bill Belichick takes that all away? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see this week. If Bill takes everything that Jimmy's been doing away, all the short stuff ain't going to happen. Debo's not doing the end of rounds. De- we're not doing those shots. We're taking that away. We're taking Kittle away. You're going to have to beat us with your receivers. I'm really interested to see what happens this week. I'm really interested. This is going to be such a fascinating game for me on both sides because on one side you have the Belichick versus Garoppolo thing. And like you said, Bill Belichick, there has, been ne- there has never been a better coach in the history of the game that takes away what you do best and makes you do something else. I've never seen anybody do that better than Bill Belichick. And the Patriots aren't what they once once were. They're a team that's kind of in transition after the Brady years, and now Cam Newton's a quarterback, and he didn't look particularly good last week. But really, this is kind of like a sleeping dog. They lost two straight games. Belichick's never lost three straight games in New England, and I, I'm, that's what scares me a lot, a lot because I think that their season is kind of on the line. They realize it, and you know that Belichick and Josh McDaniels, who's the only other offensive mind that I would consider on the same tier as Kyle Shanahan, are going to have a lot in store for the 49ers. And I think that this is where coaching makes a difference because the Patriots, at least on offense, can do things that can frustrate the 49ers on defense with Cam Newton running the ball. And I think that they are going to have trouble stopping Cam Newton. And I think it's going to be one of those games where Cam Newton will get 10 to 12 carries and you're going to have to basically uh, be able to stop him from running and winning the game. And yeah, yep, that scares me. New, Newton running all around on Sunday scares me. Yep. And as far as Belichick, that also scares me too because he knows Jimmy's weaknesses. And it's funny because you hear Belichick over the week, the course of the week, and the praise that he's given to Jimmy and the things that he says about him. And you don't hear Belichick saying that stuff about people. Like he talked about how he was really glad how it worked out in San Francisco and Jimmy worked really hard and he, uh, he was a great uh, leader and, and, uh, the things I did in New England, but you don't hear Belichick effusively praise anybody like that because he just usually give like one word answers. He did the same thing with Kittle too. So mm-hmm. I just think that Belichick has a soft spot for Kyle Shanahan because Mike Shanahan and Belichick had those, those heated rivalry games uh, over the course of the years when Chan- when the elder Shanahan was coaching. And I think Belichick respects that. And on top of that, he has J- John Lynch as the GM who played for Belichick. And there's a tremendous amount of respect right there too. So it's funny to me to see Bill Belichick heat praise on somebody, but then it's like when he does that, you know he's going to take them away. It's like, hey, Kittle is really great. 
it'd be a shame for us to take him away and <laughs> hit somebody else with, with uh, your scheme, right? But I mean, when it comes down to it, to me, it's, it's a measuring stick game against one of what I think is an elite head coaching and uh, coordinating tandem and to see what you're going to do. Do I expect them to win the game? I don't expect them necessarily win, but I want a good performance. And I want to see especially what Jimmy does from a team that knows him. And it's kind of funny, Al, because we talk about, oh, well, you know, if Jimmy gets replaced, what happens with the 49ers? Honestly, if Jimmy's out of San Francisco, he's going right back to New England. Yeah, probably. He's going to go there, and he's going to thrive, and he's going to do great because they understand him well. I really also feel like Kaj Gannon doesn't utilize him to his fullest, like what Jimmy is, is best at. And I will stick by that until he lets Jimmy start to ad lib again and, and do some of the plays that we saw, some things we saw in 2017 and takes the handcuffs off him. But uh, Josh McDaniels can get the, the most out of basically anybody. He will get the most out of Jimmy if he gets him again. So really super interesting to see. The Patriots defense, defense isn't as good. Uh, Stefan Gilmore, is he, I'm not sure if he's going to play. He was on the COVID list. So I'm not sure if he's off of that yet. Um, as the recording of the show, he's not off of it yet. So if he's out, that's huge. They don't defend the run particularly well, but the Niners don't have Mostert. Um, and their offense has been pretty stagnant. So the Niners, they have a chance here. They had more of a chance than I thought a couple of weeks ago. All right, we'll give those game predictions at the end as long as the game was from last week. But let's do some of these listener questions right now. Let's see what we got. All right, Zane, I'll just ask you these. And then we'll just go from there. All right. How many of the following players, Zane, are on the 2021 49ers roster? Quan, I'll give you the first one. Quan Alexander. Mm-hmm. Um, Quan is going to be on the roster, but at a reduced contract. They're going to restructure. Although they Quan just restructured a couple of years ago, but they're going to keep him on. Oh, see, I disagree. I think he's gone. I think it's Greenlaw and Warner next year. And I think Quan is somewhere else. I think Camp West- can't battle, but yeah, I think he makes it, but just by the skin of his teeth. Uh, Weston Richburg. Gone. Yeah. Uh, he's, I love Richburg. He's hurt too much. Um, gone. Agree. I think they're going to try to go in a different direction next year. D Ford. Gone. I think that's, that's a season ending, possibly career ending injury. I, I think that he's in trouble. I think that, that ne- he's got a neck injury. Yeah. He, he's definitely gone. Agree. I, I will be shocked if we see Ford again this year. And the Niners have not been very truthful. It's kind of like they said, oh, it's back. Oh, it's this. Oh, he's going to be out here. He's going to be out longer. I think he's banged up. I think he makes too much money. Uh, again, going to have to go in a different direction for somebody opposite Bosa next year. Maybe Ronald Blair comes back strong at some point, mm-hmm. but they're going to have to go somewhere else next year. All right. The last one, Richard Sherman. Ah, man, I, it's funny because I used to hate him when he was in Seattle. He has literally become one of my all-time favorite 49ers because the way he's represented the team. Uh, as a captain, as a leader, his play on the field. He's been so good. I want him to stay. Uh, be, but the, the emergence of Verrett, it's like, well, what do you do now? Because like you're going to keep Verrett for sure now at this point. You can keep him at a reduced contract. He's going to be cheaper than Sherman. And then what do you do with Mosley then? Because you got to keep Mosley as well. Do you keep Verrett and Sherman? I'm going to say they're going to keep Sherman. I'm going to say they're going to keep him around for two more years. He wants to play for two more years, he said. So they're going to keep him around. Um, maybe at a reduced contract from what he had this time around. Uh, and put escalators in like they did with the Pro Bowls and stuff like that. Because rather than having Mosley, who may command a bigger payday, you could basically use some of that salary that you, you're getting back from releasing Richburg and Ford and these guys and, and maybe re-up Sherman and give him one more shot. I agree. I think Sherman will be back on a, on a two-year deal that's really a one-year deal, and there's the option if he can go that second year. 
Mm-hmm. Ogasi, I am worried about his injuries for sure. But I, as well as Verrett's playing, he's another one with the injuries I don't trust. Yeah. So I think you got to have as many bodies there as possible next year. But I will say Sherman's going to come back as well. I think so. So I we agreed on most of these. All right. Early in the season, do you think the 49ers underestimated the fact that they're going to get every team's best shot because they are defending NFC champions? Yes. So Kyle Shanahan had a, a response after they lost the Super Bowl that really troubled me. And he said, we didn't really blow anything when people asked him if they blew, blew the lead. And he said that nobody died when, when talking about the context of the game. And to me, that was just, just, a, just not the right way of looking at it. Uh, not blowing anything. The first comment really just is such a level of casual casualness. And he was just so nonchalant about it. And they thought that this whole revenge tour would happen. And they thought that they were working hard in the off season as if no other team was working to beat them. And they showed up, they, they thought they'd roll their helmets out and casually just walk on the field and blow everybody out. And it showed, it showed for the first few weeks of the season, they were able to skirt by with the bad teams. But when you played a half decent team like the Eagles, and you played another scrappy team like the Dolphins, that attitude of, of casualness from Kyle Shannon permeated his way through the team. And I'm not saying he's the, he's the fault for it, but he was the one that vocalized it. And it definitely looked like they were kind of going through the motions for a little bit. And it's only now, this week, that I saw some sense of urgency from them. Really, it's the first time I saw some, some sense of urgency. Yeah, something was up early. I, I, I don't know if it was an underestimating thing. I don't know if it's a complacency thing. I don't know if they just weren't ready to play. I don't know what the deal was. But other than Steamroll and the Giants and the Jets, those other two games, I didn't know what team I was watching. Mm. So something was going on. I hope they're past it now. I don't know if I'll say it was underestimating, but I agree with you. Something was definitely up there. All right. The next two questions are kind of the same thing. They involve what the Niners are going to do with the trade trade deadline. Um, Some names like Alex Mack, Carl Lawson. So Zane, do you think the team is going to be, will be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? It depends. It depends on what's going to happen in the next few games. And if they're not contending, if they go 0-4 in the next four games, then they're going to be sellers. And they're going to try to get rid of some of these contracts, some of these players that aren't playing, like Dante Pettis, for example, uh, guys that they had high hopes for but just aren't getting snaps or time. Um, they're going to try to unload some of these guys. Akilah Witherspoon maybe would be another, another name that they may try to unload. But if they can stay at 500. Close to the or close to 500 at the trading deadline. I think they'll either stand pat or, depending on the roster situation, they'll they'll be buyers. So it it largely depends on their record, and honestly, their injury situation too. Right, like they could make a smaller move, like they with Jordan Willis, they would need bodies. But I really think that if they are at or around 500, they will probably be buyers. And if they're like significantly, if they got like three wins by that point, if they only have three wins still, then they're going to be sellers. Yeah, I agree. I think if they can get, if they're at 500, this, this week's huge. really think they got to win this week. Then I believe they'll make a move. And what they have to make room for is a pass rusher. And one name that didn't get mentioned in the questions, was, I, I think Ryan Kerrigan is just a perfect fit. I really do. I don't know, you know, with the whole Dan Snyder thing, if it's going to be easy to trade with them, but I just think he's a perfect fit. And they really do need another edge rusher badly. Because look, if this team even gets in the playoffs at eight and eight, if they're healthy at the end of the season, if Sherman's back, I mean, Bose is never coming back and you're not going to replace him. But if you can at least get another productive edge rusher in there and you get in the playoffs and this team is at full cylinders everywhere else, Niners are still a very dangerous team and they can make a run. They absolutely can. So I don't think you could throw the season away at, at four and four or whatever they would be 
think they have to they have to make a run at it because if you look at the NFC, or the NFC East is a joke. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you have Minnesota's probably out of it at one and five. Atlanta's probably out of it at one and five, and then everybody else is kind of bunched together. So you have the winner of the NFC East. Chicago's five and one. Green Bay's four and one. Detroit's two and three. Tampa's four and two. New Orleans is three and two. Carolina's three and three. And the NFC West, Seattle's five and zero. Oh, the Rams and the Cardinals are four and two. And San Francisco's three and three. If the Niners take care of business against the Rams and the Cardinals, they're in great shape for a playoff spot. Yeah, so they really they're playing Packers. They're playing New Orleans. They they kind of have their destiny in their own hands here with this. So. Definitely, they're still going to be in it, and I think it's absolutely worth that making a move. I agree. All right, Zane, who do you think? Well, what do you think the running back rotation is going to be with Mostert out? So it's going to be McKinnon's going to get the start, and Hasty will be backing him up, and Wilson will be the third string, uh, just because they don't typically use Wilson for they use him in sub packages. They don't use him for their base offense, and you're going to see a lot of, uh, most likely, a lot of. Uh, uh, larger wide receiver sets. Um, you're going to see Debo running the ball more, Kittle running. You may see some runs by Kittle as well, but some, a little bit of uh, trickeration to keep the pressure off of the running backs because McKinnon is not like a 20 carry guy and he's never been in 20 carry guy in his career, especially coming off an ACL. And I don't, I don't know, know if he's a 10 carry guy right now. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you can trust hasty. So look, you, you ideally, they ran the ball 30 plus times, right? And their record when running the ball 30 plus times is, basically almost unbeatable under Kyle Shanahan. So they want to get to 30-plus runs. I would say um, McKinnon would get 10 to 12. Hasty will probably get 10 to 12. And uh, Wilson maybe get 5, 5 to 7. And then the other runs will probably be Debo and Ayuk end rounds. And- yeah, I agree with that. I, I think you're spot on with that. The only thing I'll add is that I hope that Wilson is their short yardage guy. If they're at the goal line, they give him the ball. Because I thought he did a really good job with that last year. Yeah, I see them follow up with them on that. Yeah, I just want to stay right there for a second before we get to the next question. It's kind of shocking to me how bad Kyle Shanahan is at, at calling those plays. Like he, <laughs> he consistently, like first he did it earlier in the, in the season at that uh, during that Arizona game. Basically, that could have put that game almost out of reach at that point early, and he went with Mostert, his speed back, and re- had a run basically off like guard, and didn't put Wilson in, who was basically the bruiser. Then again, in the Miami game, they had a gun run to McKinnon, who's their smallest running back, on fourth and one. It's just, I just don't know why he doesn't get those right. And then remember, <laughs> against the Vikings, when they had Alfred Morris fumble like two or three times on the goal line, and he kept trying to do the same thing. <laughs> so it's just, it's just kind of, as good as an offensive mind Kyle is, like it's just kind of shocking to me how he, he's so bad in that situation. So hopefully they, they learn and they can put uh, Jeff Wilson in that situation. Okay, last question. Do you think the 49ers will be looking into new training medical staff for next season? Seems like every player is injured or have, have been having setbacks. Uh, is the training staff a problem? Do you want to start this one? I know you have feelings on injuries. You know, something's a problem. I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's just it's football. I don't know if it's just been bad luck, but something, something, something ain't right. I don't know what it is. And I think they just changed their training staff two years ago, didn't they? Because they had injury issues before with the ACLs and stuff. So something's going on. I'm not sure what it is. It's hard to believe you can be snake bitten year after year after year. I don't know if it's a training staff thing. I don't know if they have to relook at how they're practicing. I'm not sure. I I don't have the answer. If I did have the answer, I'd probably make a lot of money, right? Because I can come in and fix this. But 
don't know if anybody has the answer, but so- something seems off to me. Yeah, I think part of it this year, at least, and I'll agree to an extent, yeah, they do have some issues that they need to figure out that probably we don't know about. But I think the thing this year is that they lost so many players when they played in New York, and that's stupid MetLife Stadium, toilet stadium turf. And that typically doesn't happen. So I think part of it is that. Like, they lost three or four guys right there, including Jimmy Boza and Jordan Reed. So, uh, by the way, Jordan Reed's coming up. We never even talked about that. So when he comes back, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Anyways, that kind of contributed to it too, playing on that field. But yeah, something something is smells fishy here. All right, so let's do got to do game balls and predictions. Who's going to get your game balls in for last game? Damn it, Jimmy's going to get my game ball. For all of the naysayers out there, all the Jimmy haters, Jimmy's going to get my game ball. He played fantastic. He had three touchdown passes, although they're probably going to turn those into runs in the future in the NFL, the little tap pass when that goes where he throws like an inch. Regardless, he didn't turn the ball over. He was decisive with the ball. He was on target with most of his throws. And he looked much, much more comfortable. He looked like the Jimmy of last year. And he looked like a guy that was definitely uh, growing, but definitely much better than what we've seen. So Jimmy gets my game ball. That's a performance we're hoping to get out of him on a weekly basis. and. Hopefully he can. I'm going to give mine to Jason Verrett. Played lockdown corner on a defense that really needed to come up big, and, and they did. The Niners were not supposed to win this game. I think everybody on Sunday Night Football except Tony Dungy picked the Rams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just looked like one of those games. Like 75% of the fans thought the Rams were going to win. Niners looked awful the week before. And, yeah, the offense came out strong in the, in the first half, but that defense was locked down for a lot of it, too, and a lot of it had to do with Verrett. Absolutely fantastic. Sets the, set the tone in the back of that defense. He absolutely, absolutely will get my game ball for this week. He's a great story. He really is. All right. As far as the Patriots game, I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be stressful, but I think they're going to pull it out. I, I think it's will be lower scoring as well. The Niners aren't putting up a ton of points right now. They're still not you know scoring in the 30s like they were last year. I could see like, you know, a 24 to 17 ish type thing. Just it's kind of like final score last week, but a different game. I think it's going to be more of a bit of a slugfest. Um, yards could be hard to come by. Going to be ugly, but the Niners will prevail. I hope. Oh, this is such a <laughs> Not tough super game. confident, but I hope. Yeah. This is such a tough game for me to uh, pick because my heart and mind say two different things. And I want to say that the Niners will, will pull it off and will win. But it's just so hard for me to think that Bill Belichick will lose three in a row. And especially in, in this game being in New England. Not that it matters because there's no crowd. But I feel like he, this, is, he, this is one of those statement games for Belichick too. Because he has those games every once in a while where it's like, all right, it's a rivalry game. He goes up against a coach or a player that he used to coach. and they thoroughly beat them or they make a point to win and and we all talk about, oh, wow, what a great coach, legacy and all those things. I'm not saying that this will be another feather in his cap for his legacy, but this is probably, despite the record that New England has, like a two and three, this is their biggest gut check that they've faced since the Super Bowl, basically. And that is a New England team that I have a ton of respect for, the coaching staff I have a ton of respect for. I think it's going to be a very close game. And the team with less turnovers is going to win. And that usually would make sense. 
but this year we've seen Niners win the turnover battle and lose the game, like in the Arizona game. So I think that, man, to me, it's, it's, it's a toss up. And I would have to say, I'm going to go with New England. I'm going to think New England's going to win this game. And I think they're going to win it just like on the last second field goal, 23 20. Because, uh, and I think the Niners will play well. And I think it's going to be a good game for Jimmy. But I think that Belichick will just be too much in terms of scheme. Like, this is where having a better coach matters. When you have the, the lesser team or the struggling team, the coach is the ultimate equalizer. And I think that nobody is as good of a coach right now as Bill Belichick in the history of the game. So, all right. Well, if the Patriots do win, it's 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 going to get dicey again for Niners fans because all yeah. of a sudden you got that that schedule. You got Seattle coming up and Green Bay coming up and New Orleans coming up, and it's 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 yeah. it's going to get scary. So, you better hope I'm right this week. I do hope you're right. Do, the thing is, like, I think that like as as it is, I think that the Niners will probably win a couple of the games coming up. So that's why I think that they may lose this game. So you'll basically be. At or near 500 coming come, uh, come to buy basically that's one in my mind that's kind of how it plays out. If they're five and five at the buy, I'll take that. That's what I'm feeling. Uh, I'll take it. It'll be 100 percent all about that. And then all of a sudden after the buy, the cut if they got, they got the Cowboys after the buy, right? Yeah, Cowboys and and uh, the Washington football franchise. Okay, so those yeah those look like winnable games. The Bills have not played well lately. They don't yeah. look anywhere near as good as they did. Um, look, and if you're going to be a playoff team, you can't get swept by the Cardinals. So yeah. you got to you got to go for that game too. So you know there could be four when you, four wins there, you get to nine nine maybe ten wins. So it can happen if they can get to this by five yeah. and five. So that's kind of got to be the goal. Let's get to five hundred at the buy right now. Oh, all right, guys. Let's hope that I'm right and Zane's wrong. And yeah. next week we have another another victory podcast. So for Zane, this is Al. Thanks everybody. See ya.